This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. One thing that I love asking guests on the show is what advice they would give to an up-and-coming designer. When I talked with John Angelo, I asked him what's the best advice he's been given about design. Some of the best advice I've been given is centers around just talking to people as much as humanly possible. So, you know, always important to, uh, you know, bring your interfaces to users as early as possible and uh, to kind of get their take and, and get into their mindset as early as possible and, and, and uh, avoiding those guesses that end up wasting a lot of time in the earlier stages. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. This week, Bandcamp is looking for an art director for their editorial features. Buffer has two remote positions available for a marketing engineer and an engineering manager. And here at Revision Path, we're looking for a design writer to join our team. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsors, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. You can make anything from a landscape and VR to ASCII art. You can even put your portfolio on Glitch. And if you get stuck on something, just raise your hand and get help from the Glitch community. Get started on making something awesome today at glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up today for great stories, events, and the latest updates in material design at design.google forward slash newsletter. Again, that's design.google forward slash newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. It's a new year, which means it's a great time to work on your email marketing efforts. Let MailChimp's pre-built marketing automation help you out. Automations work like a second brain for your business, and they can do all the heavy lifting for your email marketing efforts so you can focus on what's really important, your business. Sign up at MailChimp.com today for a free account. MailChimp. Send better email. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking to artist, designer, and art director Lorenzo Wilkins. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Lorenzo Wilkins, and what do I do? I'm a graphic designer, artist, art director, photographer, videographer. I'm covering a lot of bases right now, and basically an artist in general. So like you say, you're covering a lot of bases here. Where did you kind of get your start? Well, I don't know how far back you want me to go. We we can go all uh, the way back. (laughs) We can go back as far as you want to. Well, you know, actually, I could go all the way back to uh, junior high school. I remember clearly 
I think I was in about the eighth grade or so. And we had what was called career day. And we were supposed to write down what we wanted to do when we grew up, so to speak. And uh, I think I wrote down two things. One, I wanted to have a career in the military or I wanted to be a commercial artist. Those were the two things that I wrote down. And as time went on, I moved toward the commercial artist side. I really liked art. And uh, I found myself looking at things, I think, a little bit differently from other people. I would look at, say, I watch TV. I was always looking at the graphics on TV. How did they do that? The animation, the titles. Or when I looked at a magazine, I was looking at the type, the photographs, the layout. And that was early on. I just kind of gravitated toward that visual aspect of uh, art, so to speak. I went through school and got to my uh, SATs to go into college. Surprisingly, my SATs were really strong on the math side. And my counselors were saying, you should go into architecture and engineering. And I wanted to do that at one point. But uh, for some reason, I just started, I kept looking at this art thing. And uh, when I applied to school, Howard University, I decided to go with the College of Fine Arts instead of with uh, architecture and engineering. Even though I was good at math, it was something about the art that I wanted to really focus on. It was a little freer. I think the freedom of it is what I liked. You know, I went through Howard University. Now, now the College of Fine Arts at that time was just that, fine arts, painting, sculpture, ceramics, illustration. But in my junior year, a new instructor came on board. Her name was uh, Starmanda Bullock, an incredible painter, incredible painter, dynamic personality. And she was all of like five foot two inches, couldn't weigh no more than 100 pounds, but she was dynamic. She was teaching a design class, basic design class. I got into that class and I got into a conversation with her one day and she said, do you want to make a living at this? I said, uh, yeah, sure. She said, well, pay close attention. And from that point on, she actually became my mentor and I was behind her the whole time. Everything she said, I just took it in. Everything she showed me, I took it in. And what she really introduced me to was, let's say, the real world of uh, graphic design. Exactly what I was seeing when I was growing up. The magazines, the TV, graphics, uh, billboards. I mean, anything that was graphic, she sort of guided me toward understanding how all that's done. And uh, she would take our classes out to uh, printers so we could see what the process was. Other places, you know, design studios. And so we get an understanding of what the real world was like. So we weren't cloistered in the quote unquote fine arts world. We had to really understand what it took if you wanted to make a living at this. So that was uh, sort of the starting point for me. And upon graduation, she had a design firm herself. So I was blessed to uh, be able to work with her. She took me under her wing and I worked on a number of projects with her, learned a lot. And she was uh, a serious guiding light for me. Now, but before you go on, I really am curious to know what was the design industry like 
back during that time? Because this is is what, like the early 70s, I believe, when this was going on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was uh, the early 70s. I was at Howard between 19, I hate to date myself, but 1967, <laughs> 1967. I think it's important to, to do that, though. I mean, because so much of the industry now is about computers and technology. And I mean, there's people that don't think design existed before the computer, the personal computer. Yeah. And that was a time when everything was done by hand. I mean, there were no computers. It was T-squares and triangles and repeater graph pins and paints. It was a messy kind of a discipline. You got dirty, seriously. You know, you had to haul around all your pencils in your in your toolbox with uh with all the necessary tools. You carried portfolios, you carried art boards. Like I said, you had your T square. You had to have all those basic things and you had to know how to use them. And you had to be very precise. Nothing was calculated as they are now on the computer where you just hit a button and you got a straight line. You had to know how to draw a straight line. <laughs> Seriously. That's the way it was in the beginning. In fact, all the way up until the mid-80s, everything was pretty much, like I said, T-squares and, and triangles. That's what you had to work with, and drawing boards. You had to know your tools in that respect. I learned deadlines, deadlines, uh, discipline, how to uh, take criticism. Uh, one thing I learned was uh, later on, I learned you work up a design, and if it's not accepted, uh, don't get upset. Stick it in your portfolio. Say, yeah, well, this, this was an idea. <laughs> this was an idea that I worked up, but it wasn't accepted, but it's still legit. But those are the main things, uh, the working environment, the discipline that was necessary. And like I said, deadlines, that the pressure of deadlines was was one thing that made you really focus. What it helps you do is sort of delete all the unnecessary ideas and really make you focus on a concrete idea and work it up or idea or ideas, but you really uh, learn how to uh, pare down all the uh, noise and really get to the point of whatever uh, concept you had to work up. I'll tell you how it worked out. Of course, I'm at Howard and all of us, all designers, African-American designers working their way through school to learn what they had to learn. But when you step out into the real world, make that transition Definitely I ran into uh, the wall, so to speak, or the closed doors. I basically didn't have the experience. And what I wanted to do was to work with someone so I could learn something. Uh, I wasn't going to go out and try to open up a business because uh, one thing I wish I had been able to, should have done, I guess, was take a business course while I was in school. I never dawned on me was to take a business course. I was all about the art and that's what a lot of people come out of school and um, what they want to do is jump right into it. Uh, some of them say they want to open up a business, but if they don't know how to run a business, they're going to run into some serious uh, potholes. And one thing I learned that was the really good was to learn the business, connect with a business, work with a company, or, and then open your eyes and watch everything that's going on from A to Z, how they run their business. And if you're in a really good position, you can learn a lot. That's what I've done over time, uh, working with various design firms. And it's an education. It's like going to 
grad school, once you step out into the real world, that's where you get your PhD in life. But it's really necessary to remain what I call a perpetual student of life. Because every day, personally, I get up every day, I learn something new every day. I'm going through processes now, learning video and how to work cameras and editing, all of that. Every day I learn something new. You know, I make my mistakes, but I dig deep to find out answers to make sure that I don't make that mistake again. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. I'm kind of surprised to know that Howard had a uh, had a design program back then. Like you said, it was called Fine Arts, but I didn't even know that that existed back then. That's good to know. Well, that was, like I said, when Starman the Bullet came in, she brought a whole different perspective to that department. And that's when uh, it, it really opened up for me. I, I took off after that. I really loved it. And I sort of found my calling. I knew where I was going after that. It was graphic design. And I focused on that. And graphic design has carried me this far as the way I make my living in terms of, you know, paying the mortgage and that kind of thing. My passion has always been photography. Um, so that that side of the visual uh, paradigm has always been what I do for myself. Photography is what I do for me to satisfy that creative side. The graphic design side is what I call the service that I provide. A client, you have a client, you're actually serving the client and you're listening to what their needs are. And uh, what you have to do is produce a product or whatever they need to help further their business. And that's what you, you're there to support them. That's how I've sort of walked that path so far. I want to talk more about your photography later, but kind of, you know, continuing on, you know, because I'm really just interested in knowing about kind of your career as a graphic designer, starting back then in the 60s and coming up to now. So after you had your time working with Starmanda Bullock, what was your kind of first job after that? You were working for a um, working for a television company, right? Or not a television company, a television station, a PBS station. Well, before that, the interesting thing was how I got to that TV station. Um, I came out of school. I worked with uh, Starmander for a while. Then I moved on to another project that I was working as a graphic designer and photographer. And this particular project was funded by the government, I guess. Uh, what it was, they had a certain amount of money that they had to spend before the end of the year in order to get that money and more. The next time the budget came up, they had some travel money left. And my supervisor at the time told me, look, we have this money that we need to spend. Find some place to go. And I said, oh, yeah, great, fine. So the interesting thing was I used to read. Uh, there were two publications that I followed. One was called Art Director and the other one was called Art Direction. There were two magazines that were put out by the same company, but one was called Art Director. And it was a black and white magazine that was about 24 pages in size, and it would come out every month. And this particular magazine actually highlighted the people who put together all the things that you saw out there from television ads to print ads to any kind of ad campaign. And they just listed the people, the names of these people who were doing this work. And I was always fascinated by that. This particular job 
when they told me, uh, spend this money, you know, go somewhere, I said, okay, fine. And just so happened, this particular publication was giving a conference in L.A., Art Direction Magazine. They were giving a conference in L.A. And I said, okay. So I signed up, went out there to L.A., but I had a, a couple of things in mind that I wanted to, to com- wanted to do while I was out there. One, I went out to the conference, learned a lot, met, met a few people. But also in the art direction, in the art director magazine, I saw a name and I cannot remember the brother's name. I'm sorry. I wish I could. But he worked at an ad agency in in San Francisco called Tracy Locke. That was the ad agency. And uh, so I I was out in L.A. and I had called him and asked him if I could meet with him. And so he could review my uh, portfolio. And he said, sure. When you come out, just give me a call. Let me know when you're coming. So I was in L.A. I called him, caught a flight up to, to San Francisco right after the conference. And my intention was to circulate to various ad agencies and show my portfolio. And so I got there and I was in, in San Francisco. I went to a couple of agencies and most of the agencies you go in, you leave your portfolio and you come back later because the portfolio goes off back into the back offices and all the art directors look at your work. And then you come back later on, you pick up your portfolio. You never really meet the art directors face to face, or you didn't then. And then I got to go meet the brother Tracy Locke. And I went in, I met him. It was, this was a face to face. Sat down with him, we talked. He asked me what I wanted to do, what I was, you know, what my intentions were and all. And I told him, well, I was trying to get into the design world, advertising or some aspect of design. And he said, okay. He got on the phone and he called about five agencies. And that clicked in my head. I said, all these people know each other. This is a fraternity up here. You know, it just dawned on me. I said, everybody knows each other. So he's calling around to the various agencies, asking them. I'm sitting right there. He says, uh... Hey, Bill, do you have uh, any junior designer positions open? And all the answers came back, no. They didn't have anything at the time. But one thing he told me was, uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what. What you should do is start in L.A. because everything is there. You got your TV, film, print, music, everything. I said, okay. And I flew back to L.A., then flew back to the East Coast, back to D.C., And three months later, I had packed up all my clothes, packed up all my belongings, rather, put my furniture in storage, loaded up my car, and I drove across country to L.A. So uh, I was focused. (laughs) It was like laser beam. I said, "Okay, L.A. is the place I need to be. Initially, I wanted to I really wanted to go to New York, but it was too expensive. I couldn't afford New York. And I didn't really have Chicago in mind. At that time, there were three major centers. It was New York, Chicago, and L.A. Those were the major markets at the time. So I wanted to be in one of those major markets. And L.A. was the most, L.A. was the one that worked for me. So I drove to L.A. and I was lucky enough to uh, stay with a family, that, that uh, a good family out there that allowed me to stay there. I stayed with them for about three or four months. As I looked around for work and as I was looking, it was really tricky trying to get into the B 
business out there because what I learned was most, a lot, let's say a lot of the jobs were union jobs, especially if you wanted to get into TV and film, you had to be a union member, whatever discipline that was. But what I did, I worked around LA, I worked at some photo labs and developed film and prints and things like that. And then one day I got a I was talking to a friend of mine, and he told me about uh, summer replacement at the uh, PBS station in L.A., and he said, in the graphics department. So I said, okay. So I contacted them, and uh, they asked me to come in. I talked with them, and I got to replace one of the artists as he went out on summer vacation, and that lasted about two weeks. Then there were actually four artists in that department, and each one of them went on vacation, and I filled in for them. So I ended up working there for about a month and they kept calling me back as what they call a per diem on a daily basis. Say, can you come in tomorrow? Yeah, sure. So I'd work there. Then one of the guys who was in the department found another job and moved on. So there was a position open and they kept me on as a per diem. They didn't ask me to become a staff member at the time. So I worked there for about maybe about three or four months. And by that time, I had accumulated enough time to join the union. So I joined the what they call the uh, Scenic and Title Artists Union. And uh, I was a member of that. And that got me in. So then I was legitimate. I could, that means I could work anywhere in the, within the industry because I had a union card. So that worked out for me. And they asked me to come on staff. I was on staff. And uh, over time... Long story short, I was there 12 years. And oddly enough, my intention was to come to L.A., stay five years, learn what I needed to learn and come back to the East Coast. But it got too good. (laughs) I was learning so much, meeting so many people, and I really liked it. I liked what I was getting into was opening up for me on so many levels. Uh, One thing was As we got into the 80s, the computers started coming into play, and I was jumping right on the computer. I wanted to learn what this thing could do, uh, especially when the Macs came out. Everybody was talking about the Macintosh because it was artist-friendly, in other words, user-friendly, and especially artist-friendly because the whole point-and-click thing, and I was doing some basic graphics on it, uh, actually working up logo designs early on. I had my little nine-inch screen, the little box that first came out. A friend of mine turned me on to it, and I just, it became one of my major tools. And it opened up a lot of doors. As time went on, and I moved up in the, so, so, so-called so moved up in the ranks within the art department, I became the like the number two guy in the art department. And I was working on a lot of, more on on-air graphics, designing on-air graphics. And that was a whole new world because all the computers that were out then were the high-end computers, like uh, the paint box. A lot, some people might know what, what those computers were, that the paint box, the Harry, the Avid system, all those types of things. I learned a lot. I didn't really do a lot of hands-on, but I did work with people who knew those, who worked on those computers every day. So I would come with the concepts and they would execute them for me. So as time went on, the guy I was working under 
moved on himself to a new position. And I was given the graphics director position. And that's when it really opened up for me. I was sort of like in charge. So I had to lead this whole design team. I had, I think it was five or six people under me. And we did okay. We did okay. We had a good time. It was a real tight-knit group. We had to do a lot of different things within the TV station. We had to do uh, print, on-air graphics, scenic art, signage. We had to do it all. So everything, it was like a school. You had to know everything, a little bit of everything, and be good enough at it to make things work. So tell me about the work that you're, you're doing now. You have your own studio. It's called SD33. Can you talk to me about that? Uh, yeah. When I finally left L.A. and came back to the East Coast, I was working with several producers who were still on the, on the West Coast. I got to do some title designs for several TV shows, mm-hmm. Moesha, South Central. Uh, there were a couple others. And, I, and this was when I was going back and forth. I, was, I had moved back to the East Coast and I was actually doing more work out on the West Coast. So I was flying back and forth, which was fun. <laughs> I even got to work with one of uh, Spike Lee's creative directors. And this was around the time when he was working on Malcolm X. Oh, nice. Yeah, like like, yeah. like mid-90s. Yeah, actually early 90s. Because this was before I came. Yeah. So I worked with one of his creative directors on several productions that he was working on and also got to work on do a signage for one of Spike's stores called Spike's Joint. Yeah, I remember Spike's yeah. Joint. Yeah, he had these clothing stores around the world, you know, Brooklyn, L.A., Tokyo, Paris, you know, wherever, London. Mm-hmm. This particular store in L.A., you know, it was an interesting story about working with, uh, on that particular project, the creative director came to me, we sat down, we talked about working up some ideas called Spike's Joint for the store. So Spike was actually over in the Middle East shooting segments of Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. So what I had to do was put together a series of logo ideas. I think I did about 15 or 20 and gave it to a creative director. He sent them to Spike. Maybe about a week later, he comes back. He says, "Uh, give me more. You know, I said, (laughs) okay, I just just did 15 of them. I said, okay. (laughs) So I dug deeper. I did another 15 or so. Wow. Gave those to him. He sent those over. Spike said, we're getting there. Give me a few more. I said, wow. So I sat down and I thought I had pretty much come to the end of my rope, you know, in terms (laughs) of where am I going to get this from? And oddly enough, I was sitting watching the NBA playoffs one day. I had a magic marker in my left hand and a sketch pad in front of me. And with my, I'm right-handed. Now, with my left hand, I wrote Spike's joint with my left hand. So it's not all fluid and cursive, cursive and looking pretty, right? I looked at it and I said, okay, well, I'm just going to throw this in there. And with the others, so I must have sent about another 10 or so, 10 or 15. He sent them over. And Spike comes back. He liked the one that I did that looked more like scribble <laughs> with my left hand. And that became the sign <laughs> that became the signage for the store. And I, said, I couldn't believe it. Nice. 
I remember that. Like, it's like the ones from what I remember, like the letters are kind of a little off kilter. Yeah, I remember that that logo. Yeah, yeah. So I couldn't believe it. I said, <laughs> "Okay, all right." You never know. You never know. And that was reaching deep. You know, I just said, "Okay, let me just do this," mm-hmm. and it worked. Then I, you know, when I came back to the East Coast and started settling in. I sort of moved away from the TV and film and was concentrating more on um, print work. And I was doing more identity work, logos, publication design, advertising design. And uh, so I started SD33 after I left a design firm that I was working with that specialized in publication design. What happened with that particular company, I worked with them for about four or five years. And 9-11 happened and business got kind of squirrely after that. And a bigger company came in and bought out the company that I was with. I said, OK, I've got to get, get out here and make my way. And luckily enough, while I was working for this particular design company, you sort of you develop these relationships with the clients. So I was working, I think, maybe four magazines, art directing four magazines. And what happened was when the company came and bought the company I was with, several of the clients didn't want to go with the larger company. And they contacted me and they became my clients. So I sort of hit the ground running with two magazines under my belt to sort of help me ease my landing because I was kind of like, oh, man, what am I going to do? But. I was really, really lucky to have these two clients that wanted to stick with me because, like I said, you develop these relationships. They like the way you work. We work well together. They like what I was doing. So I was able to keep going. And over time, you know, I sort of built my client base with, you know, doing publication design, identity, and advertising. And as as time went on, it evolved. It evolved. You know, you kind of ride the roller coaster of the economy. So things are up, things are down. And pretty much at this point, sort of in a transition right now, the graphic design aspect of it still viable. I still have a few projects that I work on, but my focus has been moving toward video. I think that's the next natural progression for me, at least. So I'm looking at video more and producing projects from a photography video perspective. So speaking of video, you have the series that's on YouTube. It's called Art Life slash Life Art, an insight into creativity. Can you tell me more about that? Like where did the the impetus come to start that? I would have to say I've always been fascinated by creativity, period. And that means anyone who creates especially in the arts. We're talking about not only designers, I'm talking about musicians, actors, writers. I'm constantly amazed by what's produced by people in the in the creative realm. You sit down and you watch them create something. It's just something comes up. I, I tell you one thing that I flash back on from time to time is when I was still in LA and working at the TV station, the photographer who was on staff couldn't cover a particular shoot one night. Um, and they asked me if I would do it. I said, sure, fine. Turns out it was for a TV program called 
from Jump Street. And it was actually profiles of creative people. And it was hosted by Oscar Brown Jr. And that particular segment turned out to be a segment that featured Quincy Jones. So they sent me to the studio. You know, musicians, they work at night. So two o'clock in the morning, I'm going to this studio out in the valley. And I get to the studio and, you know, I'm there. I said, wow, man. All of a sudden, people started showing up. There's Quincy Jones, uh, Rod Temperton, who was uh, an incredible writer, Patty Austin, singer Patty Austin. There's Oscar Brown Jr. And who should walk in the door but George Benson. This recording session, they were doing a portion of the recording session. Uh, like it wasn't a full band or anything. George was there to lay down some tracks. And I took some pictures of the entire uh, process. And I remember sitting in the control room watching Quincy Jones. And I saw him close his eyes as some music was playing. And just the sheer concentration that I saw him, it, was, it almost, you could almost see where he, he went somewhere. In other words, he went somewhere. And I said, wow. And I, I was just amazed by that. And I don't know, that kind of thing, that kind of spiritual connection, I guess. Because when he opened his eyes, our eyes connected. And he just kind of nodded at me. And I just nodded back. And I and like we understood, I know where you went, <laughs> you know. But it was, uh, it was quite an experience just to be around creative people. Watching George Benson work, uh, listen to the conversations that go on between the people in the room, producing ideas, just being around that energy. It's sort of, it's always fascinated me. So I, I'm constantly asking that question, what is creativity and how do you get there? Where does it come from? In my series, what I do is I ask people those questions. I say, what does it mean to you? What does creativity mean to you? And where do you find your inspiration, the sources? And you get some fascinating answers. You know, everybody gets it from a different place, travel a different path. They, they, they travel their own path in terms of finding that creative source. And I think every story is unique. It, they may end up in the same place. In other words, they've produced something. But getting there is always fascinating to me. Um, whether you're a painter, a photographer, musician, it's all that creative spirit that I, I try to focus on and just, you know, make it free enough for people to sit down and really talk about what inspires them, what gives them life. And for those who, I guess, might not be, I guess, super familiar with this, tell me more about the video series now. I know that you, you mentioned that you're getting into videography and doing that. Where did that, that sort of impetus come from? Like, was this a dream project you always wanted to do? In a way, in a way, I think when I started seriously thinking about doing a video series, I was experimenting with video, shooting some things and, and saying, you know, I, I, I like doing this. I, I want to try to explore this a little further. And I think the whole idea of creativity was the impetus for focusing that particular skill. I like cinematography. And I, like I said, I'm learning this as I go along. Just the idea of working in video or cinematography, I, I like that. I like images. I like movement now. 
I'm looking at movement of images. I always, my photography, I always had a sense of movement, even within the still photograph. I always try to capture some sense of movement, even within a still photograph. So now I've transitioned that, that concept to actual motion. I'm experimenting on various levels, and I'm starting with this creativity series. And who knows where it's going to go, but one thing is, this is my expression. I'm not doing this as a service, per se, for a client. I'm doing this because this is what I want to use as my vehicle for expression. Also, as I seek answers to the question, what is creativity? Does your photography work help you out as a designer? Like, do you find that those skills complement each other? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're all married together. One is an extension of the other. Like I said, when I was growing up, I always had this visual thing going on. I'm looking at things and trying to, I guess, make some sense of the order, how things were put together, the images, the type, the space that it occupies, even billboards, you know, looking at billboards, say, wow, look at that font. How did they do that? Look how they treated that photograph. So it's all an extension it's and it's all combined together. I mean, the graphic design work is actually photographic design work in my mind. So that's how I, I kind of approach it all. I'm learning every day. I'm constantly trying to push the envelope to find that next level. Right now, the my biggest challenge is learning this discipline of videography and uh, cinematography. That's a whole new school for me. So. I'm working at it. I do a lot of reading, a lot of studying, tutorials, talking with people, as much work as I can, as much as I can to learn as much as I can. It's a constant process. It's never ending. I never feel like I've gotten to the end. As they say, the process is what it is. You know, that's the pleasure of it. It's the process. If you get to the end, what have you got? So I'm constantly unfolding new ideas or knowledge that was critical to me. It's constantly staying in that state of learning. How have you seen design change over the years? I mean, I know before we talked about, you know, you had to have your tools with you and there was a lot that you did with your hands and with precision. And of course, you know, design has changed with technology, but what are other ways that you've seen design change over the years? Well, I see a lot of incredible talent out there. One thing is it's accessible. It's way more accessible than it was early on. At the beginning, computers were so expensive, you know, you had to take out serious loans to just get a small Mac. But now it's amazing that you can go out here and put together a system at a reasonable price. I say reasonable. Some people, you know, it still may be expensive. It depends on what level you're working on. But you can get in on the ground floor with a good, competent, powerful computer system and develop just about any aspect of art that you want. You know, graphic design, illustration, videography, anything. You know, I know people who cut whole movies on a laptop. That's what they do. But it, it's changed to the point where accessibility is the key now. And it allows so many people to get into the creative realm. You know, kids can do it. You know, they're developing websites of their own, you know. 
It's easy on some levels, but the whole thing is the cream of the crop has to rise to the top. That the people who are really who really understand design, not necessarily just pushing buttons and playing around on the screen, but you know, who understand design. That's the critical part. That's what separates somebody who just has a computer with some programs on it and what they do with it. So you really have to have that background or or deeper knowledge of what you're working with and what your goals are. And design means actually everything, whether you're designing music, you're designing art, illustration, a layout, all of that requires some knowledge that you can carry into that discipline and make a mark. How about the design community? How have you seen it change? Well, the design community as a whole has grown enormously, you know, with all the uh, organizations that are out, out here now. I think it's well connected in the sense that the people can get in touch with each other through social media and share ideas and exchange ideas. It's much more flexible. I like to collaborate with other designers and work on projects that are more of a collaborative effort. It makes for, it, that makes community. That makes community when, when you're able to work with other mm-hmm. people, come up with ideas that make an impact. What's some advice that's really stuck with you over the years? Anything you want to share with our audience? Well, let's say, like I said, uh, you have to wake up every morning and remain a student of life, you know, perpetual student always open to learning something new. Never pretend that you know it all. Don't let your pride get in the way. And one thing I always tell people is uh, don't put your ego on the table when you're making a presentation because that's not what it's all about. It's really about serving the client. Just remaining true to yourself, but be very aware of what's going on around you. Because a lot of times, uh, too often, I've seen people do this where they kind of go into a space where they're, it's all about them. And, and I, that's all well and good. But if you're out here working as a designer, you're actually providing a service. I mentioned that earlier. You're providing a service and you have to realize that what you do is you're serving your client. Therefore, you have to step outside of yourself and listen, learn to listen. Learn to listen. You can't put your ego out there. You have to, can't be thin-skinned because if somebody says, I don't like this logo or I don't like this design, don't get upset. Move on. You know, work up something else until they do like it. I've had to tell a few students that because one of them did come to me and ask me, well, what if I like a logo and, uh, and the client doesn't? I said, do something else. You have to keep it that simple. You can't get caught up in your own head. Because it's, it's bigger than you are. That's the whole purpose. Is there anything in particular that you want to accomplish this year? I'd like to uh, expand on my Art Life Life Art series, find a more diverse, even more diverse subjects, even more diverse subjects, you know. And I'd like to be able to go to other cities. Right now, I've been sort of working the Baltimore, D.C., Maryland area. I'd like to be able to, oh, actually, I'm going to try to start this GoFundMe uh, campaign. And actually, uh, if I can get that going, and which will allow me to travel a little more, 
I like to go up to there there because there are people in New York I like to interview. There are a couple of people on the West Coast I like to interview. So the idea this year is to expand. Mm-hmm. Well, when you get that GoFundMe, let me know. We'll certainly uh, certainly talk about it, help you help you publicize it. Yeah, that'll be great. I would really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. When you look back at your career, you look back at your work, at, at your accolades, do you think about what comes next? I know you said that you're you're always learning and you're being that that perpetual student, but uh, let's say like in the next 5 years or so, what do you what do you see yourself doing? That's always a tough question. That's always a tough question for me because things can turn on a dime, but you know, at one point I went down the path of trying to become a musician, you know, I mean, a competent musician where, but then I had to turn back and get back onto the the graphic design path. And as far as the future goes, it's really tough. Right now, what I see is working on the video level, working in video, some aspect of video, cinematography. I don't know. I'm thinking about writing for a series. I'm not sure exactly where that's going to go. I have some ideas floating around in my head, but maybe at some point I'll sit down and do some writing, do some collaborative things with uh, some other creative people. That's the idea. I'm really, I'm really trying to make some connections through the video with other creatives and work with them. I don't necessarily feel like I need to be the, uh, the top dog in a project, but I'd like to work on projects, work with people. So try to tighten up my skills and remain true to my design perspective and try to present that to someone who thinks, yeah, okay, we can work together. But the idea is to uh, actually expand my collaborative scope or network over the next five years. Just continue to grow in that respect. Well, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Let's see. I have a couple of websites. One is SD, S is in Sam, D is in David. 33.com. And then I have another one that I'm actually redesigning the site now, but it's most of my personal work, lnz33.com. Then I have the artlife.lifeart.insight. If you put that into the uh, browser, that'll take you to the Art Life Life Art channel. You'll find some links to that Facebook page, as well as the uh, YouTube channel. Basically, that's it for now. Those are the ones that I have that are viable. All right. Sounds good. Well, Lorenzo Wilkins, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and for really sharing. You you, you have such a, a deep history of, of the work that you've done. I really like what you said about, you know, photography is what I do for myself. Graphic design is the service that I provide. Like, I like that you sort of provide that distinction between your personal work and your client work. But I think more so than that, it's always good to hear the perspectives from people that have been in this industry for a long time. You know, like I said, actually, before we started recording, you know, some people think that design just started at the advent of a personal computer and they don't know what the industry was like or even what it was like to create before Photoshop was even, you know, invented or whatever. So it's, it's good to hear kind of how you got your start hear the people that inspired you and then, you know, the fact that you're still continuing this work now and continuing this great output, I think is a great asset to the design community as a whole. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. 
And I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Lorenzo Wilkins and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Lorenzo and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. And now Facebook isn't just one product or one type of design problem either. Their work transforms a number of industries from advertising, news and media, local business, video, and messaging. No other company designs at a massive scale like they do. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. Now, I know if you're a designer or an artist or an illustrator and you're listening to me talk about apps and bots and all that stuff, you might wonder if Glitch is really for you. And the answer is yes, Glitch is really for anyone that makes things and puts them on the web. You know, too many coding tools put up barriers to creativity with a lot of complicated setup and features. And Glitch just lets you get started with no hassle at all. So what will you create today? Get started at Glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up for great stories, events, and the latest updates on material design at design.google forward slash newsletter. That's design.google forward slash newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well. MailChimp gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, then please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or two. It really helps the show by not only bumping us up in the rankings there for Design Podcast, it lets others discover this show as well. Not just here in the U.S., but internationally as well. We have tons of international listeners, so it really helps when you rate and review. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, if you're listening to this and you want to hear next week's episode early, then you should become our patron over at Patreon. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.